We've got a regular episode that's being released this week, but first, we have a bonus episode. As many of you are aware, we've been dealing with some pretty severe server issues. But interestingly, just through dumb luck, I ended up talking to one of the BHP members. His name's Joe, and I explained the issue, and he wrote a custom plugin that solved a huge chunk of the problem that's been plaguing the site for over a year. And no kidding, at the height of these issues, about 75% of my workload was just taken up with side issues, either trying to keep it up or trying to put out fires when it was down, which meant it was really hard to research and write episodes, and that slowed down the production. But now a lot of that seems to have been resolved, which is incredible. And so obviously I wanted to compensate Joe for his work, and all he wanted me to do was make one of his favorite members episodes free to the public. Which, you know, is just the nicest thing in the world. So that's what I'm doing today. But heads up, this was my second members episode and it's about a decade old. So the audio quality and honestly my delivery probably aren't going to be up to the standard that you're used to. But here we go, straight out of the archives. The Myth of the Poet's Curse, brought to you by Joe. We do not respect poets like we once did. Poets are almost all that remains of our druidic past. They seek to remember, they conjure images and feelings, and when they do their jobs well, they touch at a truth you always knew, but did not yet have the eyes to see. In ancient times, the druids held complete dominion over the history of the people, as well as their sacred rites. As they were forbidden from writing down their secrets, all their history and religion was taught and practiced out loud. I think it's entirely likely they would have used rhyme and meter to aid their memorization, like many other cultures have done. And so even after Druidism was snapped out, even after the old ways were burned, cut down, and forced into obscurity, some things held. Maybe they didn't know where the superstitions came from, but they knew that the poets were fearful people and not to be trifled with. Of course, it has been millennia since Druidism died out, and with the passage of time, even superstitions can fade. So now all that's left are the vestiges of the ancient reverence, such as the appointments of Poets Laureate in the United States. The fear and respect that we once had for the poets is gone. This is a tale about the time when that fear was still palpable. It is an Irish tale, and it's about the time when a poet could enter the court of a high king and argue with him, and even cause the high king to apologize. To anger a poet was a terrible risk, and there were few things as dangerous as to have his or her rage directed at you. Yes, you heard that right. There were also women chief poets at the time, and they too were feared. In 1024 AD, the chief poet of Ireland, a man known as Cuanua Lothcan, was attacked in Theba. As he lay dying, he summoned the strength to call down the poet's curse upon his murderers. It is said that within the next few hours, the men all rotted to death. The Annals of Connacht claim that John Stanley, the English viceroy who had been sent to rule Ireland, died of a poet's curse in 1414 AD. As recently as the 19th century, aspects of this belief have persisted. 
Thomas L. Creomphane wrote in his autobiography, The Island Man, that he would take the time to listen to the island's poet, regardless of his duties, for fear that the poet would be offended and write a satire about him. Now, if there are any literature nerds listening and are wondering why I'm not including John Dryden's famous poem, McFleckno, it's because it didn't cause Thomas Shadwell to drop dead. It simply made him a punchline for a few centuries. <laughs> Shadwell. Anyway, in ancient times, there were few things as terrible as to be the subject of a poet's curse. So let me tell you about one particular curse. It took place in Ulster, and Mongan Makfiakai, also known as Mongan of the Abundant Hair, was king. He ruled from a great fortress, or Rath, known as Rathmore of Maglini. Though he had great power in the region, and though he had rich lands, he felt his court was lacking. After all, why had Delan Forgale, the chief poet of Ireland, not visited him as a guest? It was not as if he could not enter his lands. No one in all of Ireland would dare refuse to welcome the chief poet. Now, Delan might be old and repulsive. He might have had a terrible temper and a reputation for being vain and easily offended. But he was the chief poet. And until Delan visited Ulster, it would be a blight on Mongan's reputation. And thus King Mongan was willing to take the risk. So he sent his messengers to invite Delan to his court, knowing that the vain old man would likely have a weakness for flattery. It turns out he was right. And before long, Delan Forgale was sitting in Mongan's court, reciting tales for the king, his queen, Briothagern, and Mongan's finest warriors. Delan told a story about the Fianna, the high king's fearsome elite warriors, and the battle in which Prince Fothad Arkthiak was killed. It was an exciting tale that involved forbidden love, fratricide, and crushing heartache. All who were there knew the tale, but to hear the chief poet tell it was a rare treat. His thin, raspy voice brought the stories they knew from childhood to life. Delon reached the great climax, where the Fianna came seeking retribution against Fothad Erkthiak for the murder of his brother. And lost in the retelling of this battle, Delon mentioned almost as an afterthought that the battle took place in Dubther Laekian. King Mongan was confused. He prided himself on his knowledge of history, and he wasn't sure if he heard the chief poet correctly. He leaned forward and asked Delon where the battle took place. Delon irritably repeated himself, Dubther Lakeon. The king knew he was on unsteady ground here. Delon was known for his temper, and Mongan had been raised to fear the poet's curse since he was a child. But Mongan was a good king. He knew the importance of his vows and his oaths, and the most important of his oaths was the truth against the world. He knew the truth of this tale, and so he had to swallow his fear and confront the chief poet. Poet, I fear you are mistaken, because that is not correct. Many in the room gasped in shock. Mistaken? Mistaken? How could it be incorrect? Did I not just say it? If I said it is so, then it must be so. No, everyone in this hall knows that Fathad Erkthiak fought his last battle here in Machlini. 
The green hill just outside our wrath is the very spot where he fell. Delon erupted in rage. You, you little princeling, dare to contradict the chief poet of Ireland? Delon's voice boomed throughout the court, and suddenly he was not a small aging poet with a curved back. He was a giant amongst ants. No one dared look at him in the eye. No one even dared to breathe for fear of attracting his attention. No one but Mongan. King Mongan already had the poet's attention, and he knew he was right. And besides, this was his hall. This little man was terrifying his men. And what good would it be to allow them to see their own king also quake in terror? Once again, King Mongan steeled himself. I am allowed to challenge you when you are wrong, the king said, his voice tight and comparatively small against the poet's furious tirade. You deny me? You deny my knowledge? You little princeling believe that you know more than I, I who have been versed in the history of the dead. How dare you? Delon paused and a vicious smile crossed his lips. Very well. I will satirize you. I will satirize your father. I will satirize your mother. I will satirize your grandfather. And when I am done, all will know that the word of a petty king should never be taken before the chief poet of Ireland. Delon looked around the court and all the faces who were witness to his outrage. Not one of them would look him in the eye. Many of them appeared pale, and some were visibly trembling. Rather than fill the poet with regret for inspiring so much fear, it simply egged him on further. Fugthiect malacht orct! I will curse this court, and the waters of this land, so that no fish can be caught. The plains will turn barren, and the trees will refuse to bear fruit. I will lay a curse so that all living creatures will flee from your kingdom, Mongan, so that your people will starve. This I will do. King Mongan did not move, nor did he break his gaze from the chief poet. He could not back down. He was king, and his oaths would not allow it. He could do nothing. But his queen, Briothagern, was not bound by the same rules. And she knew tales of how other kingdoms had avoided curses in the past. It would not be cheap, but she had to take the risk. With a voice like honey, she calmly interrupted the raving poet. Stay your words, poet of Ireland. The king did not intend to wound you or cause such anger. If you refrain from your curses... We will offer you a bronze cauldron filled with gold, silver, and precious jewels. Even if I have to strip my neck and arms bare, these gifts will be yours. But do not curse the kingdom. King Mongan, who had been musing over what a tremendous error in judgment it had been to invite this man to his court, knew that regardless, he was not wrong about the battle. He knew the truth of it. But he also couldn't let his people suffer. And so he said, Let me add to my wife's plea. If you do not curse us, 
I will add to her gift the honor price of a king. This was a tremendous offering, and it was clearly intended to flatter Delon by indicating that King Mongan saw him as an equal to kings. The honor price of a king? Are such paltry gifts worthy of my honor? Twice the honor price, then. Thrice! If you must, take half my kingdom, if that is what is necessary to save my people from your blighting tongue. Delon Forgale simply glared at the king. I might consider all your kingdom as compensation. But only if you will say that you lied, and I spoke the truth of it. <laughs> king Mongan sat motionless, and with every second that passed in silence... The poet became more outraged that the king would not back down. Even now you mock me. Very well. You have offered me everything but the one thing that you prize above all others. Offer it to me, and I will leave your lands in peace. Name it, and it will be yours. <laughs> your wife. I will settle for no less. Brathagurn gave a little scream and pushed back in her chair, while her husband paled at the choice he'd been given. Delon grinned maliciously as the queen turned to her husband and held his hand. You have to accept. If you do not, the whole kingdom will be cursed. King Mongan's jaw clenched tight as he strained for another way out of this mess. But he could not see one. Very well, he said. And Delon scuttled towards his prize. But wait, chief poet, I will agree to this only after three days have passed. If, after those three days, I have not proven that Fothad Erechtheach died here in Machlini, and that he is buried there under the green hill, you may claim my wife. The chief poet hesitated for a moment, then nodded. Three days from now, at this hour, Mongan, I will come to claim your queen. Or curse your kingdom, he said smugly, turning to leave the hall. Even the greatest of Mongan's warriors hurried to let the poets pass. Mongan and Briothagurn retired to their bedchambers, and the moment the door closed, the queen, who had been so calm and collected, burst into tears and fell into the arms of her husband. Mongan might have been a king in the hall, but here he was just a man trying to comfort a distraught wife and he did what all men do in that situation. He said it will be okay. Can you fix it? Can you prove what you said in the feasting hall? I don't know. But I've bought three days to find an answer. We will surely find help. Justice must always overcome injustice. Have faith. Faith was not the answer Briothagurn was hoping for, and she broke down once more to heart-rending sobs. But the truth of it was that King Mongan didn't know how to find the answer to his problem. He knew he was right. He knew that the bones were buried under the hill. All of Ulster knew he was right. But how could he prove it to the spiteful old poet? Even if he sent his men to dig up the entire hillside, how could he prove that the bones belonged to Fathod Erechtheach? And to add to his misery, he also knew that Dalan didn't have to prove a thing. Mongan had challenged him, not the other way around, so the burden of proof lay squarely on the king. All he had was hope and faith. 
hoped that word would spread of his plight and that someone, anyone, would come to rescue his kingdom from the vengeance of this poet. The days came and went quickly, and no one in his kingdom knew of any way to prove their king had spoken the truth. On the morning of the third day, the old poet arrived at court and demanded the queen. Briothagern paled at the sight of him, and tears rimmed her eyes. King Mongib bristled at the arrogance of the little man arriving so early. Three days were agreed, poet, to the very hour. Come back after the sun has set and the feasting is over. That is the hour of our agreement. Delon glared at the king and muttered threats as he shuffled out the door from whence he came. Once they were alone, the king turned to his wife. It will be okay. Have faith, Briothagern. Help will come. It must come. It's been three days, Mongan. Three days and no one has come. No one has found any proof. The king tried to smile and reassure his wife. But deep down, he knew the truth of what she said. What good would a few hours do when three days had passed and no one had come to their aid? Wait, the king said, his eyes wide and frantic. Can you hear that? The queen listened for a moment. No, what do you hear? Shh, there it is again, the king said to his now rather worried wife. Briothagern couldn't hear a thing. What is it? Footsteps. Far away. From the southwest. No, far beyond the southwest. He comes from the house of dawn, gatekeeper of the other world. He is coming. The queen sat in stunned silence. Did Mongan lose his mind? Or was this a poorly timed jape aimed at cheering her up? But she didn't get the chance to question him. He continued. I can hear splashing. He's now crossing the waters of Lame Hine and Loch Lane. He's now striding along the Nor, over the Barrow, through the Lyfe and the Boyne, across the Dee, the Tuarthesk, now Carlingford Low, the Nid, and the Nuri River. Can't you hear him? He's parting the waves of the Larn right now, right in front of Rathmore. <gasps> He's here! The king leapt to his feet and dramatically strode towards the chamber doors. He barked orders to his servants as he passed, with his rather confused wife in tow. Ensure that the poet meets me in the feasting hall. He's already there, your highness, one of them meekly informed him. And he spoke the truth. Delon Forgale was in the middle of the feasting hall, which was packed wall to wall with guests from all throughout the realm. Everybody had heard about the poet's curse by this point. Upon entering, the queen looked around the room for a drenched traveler. She was hoping against hope, but all she saw were the faces of local nobles, and, of course, the leering old poet in the center of the room. Crestfallen, she bowed her head and took her seat. Delon Forgale licked his lips and quickly advanced on the queen. I've come to take what is mine. Was there not a condition to our agreement, said the king? Yes, but where is your proof that Fothad Ergiath was killed here and buried beneath the green hill. The king smiled and said quietly, It is here. Delon looked around the room. Where? Where is this proof? Enough of these tricks. 
give me what is mine, or I will curse your kingdom. The king did not even appear to hear the poet's threats. A man is approaching from the south. He is carrying a headless shaft. He's leaping over the ramparts as easily as a bird takes flight. He's at the door. The door is crashed open without anyone touching them, and a tall, muscular stranger dressed in fine clothes entered the hall. In his right hand was a headless spear, and in his left was a silver shield. Everyone in the court scrambled to clear a path for him as he barged towards the poet. The old man even tried to shuffle away, but it was to no avail. In moments he found himself face to face with the stranger. There is trouble in this wrath, he said, his voice so deep and strong that it seemed that even the candles flickered at the sound of it. The king rose from his seat. You have the right of it, stranger. Tell me of it. This man here is Delan Forgale, the chief poet of Ireland. He tells me that Fothad Ergthiak was slain at Dubther Lechian, but the traditions of my people say that he was slain here, and he sleeps in the green hill outside. He affronted my station, snapped Delan. It is my right to curse him for his offenses, but I am not unreasonable. I gave him three days to prove himself, and if he did not, I would not curse him, so long as he gave me his wife. The stranger sighed. Poet, do you not know the saying, never curse a wise man? Fothad Erechtheoc was not slain in Dubther, nor Canacht, nor Maith nor Munster, or Leinster. It was here, in Ulster, that he met his end. The old poet flushed with rage. Any fear he might have felt regarding the stranger vanished, and his pride took over. Sorrow will claim you, stranger. You have invited great misery into your life, for now I will include you in my curse. The stranger smiled. I don't think your curses will trouble me, little poet. He said quietly. King Mongan didn't have the stranger's confidence. Perhaps the stranger didn't have anything to lose, but Mongan certainly did. Only proof can save us from the poet's vengeance, stranger. The stranger continued to smile. Is that not why I was summoned? I was one of the Fianna that served Fion Macomhail. Delan interrupted with a laugh. Ha! <laughs> Fion lived hundreds of years ago. Hear me out, the stranger calmly commanded. We were returning from Alba when we met Fothagarikvyak in battle. When the battle was at its fiercest, I spotted Erikvyak standing at the base of a sloping hill. I took shelter behind a stone, took careful aim, and hurled my spear at him, which passed through him and pinned him to the soil. This he said, holding the shaft for all to see, is the spear. The rock from which I threw is still there, as is the bronze spearhead still embedded beneath the grass. The cairn of Fothod Erechtheoc will be found a little to the east of the spearhead. There you will find a stone coffin holding his remains, as well as his bracelets, hoops, and torque. Above it is an inscription written in Ogham, 
that reads, Fothug Eric Theok is here, who was killed in battle by Cowalt of the Fianna. We of the Fianna buried him just as I have described. Delan let out a bark of cynical laughter. <laughs> you believe you are Cowalt? Cowalt would be hundreds of years old. You don't look older than twenty, boy. Tell me, how have you survived the centuries in such great condition? The stranger turned on him, his eyes masking his sorrow. I did not survive. I have returned here from the House of Dawn, where heroes' souls are reborn, because we Fianna have ever loved the truth. From the veils of the other world, we sit and watch our homeland. We rejoice in its victories and mourn its losses. And we were overcome with sorrow for the distress of the queen and the helplessness of the king, who could not prove what he knew was true. So much was our sorrow that I was allowed to resume a mortal body and return to give you these words of counsel. At dawn, go and seek the cairn. All will be as I have described it. I do not boast, nor lie, for the rallying call of the Fianna has ever been the truth against the world. The next morning, the king, his queen, the grumbling poet, and the entire court went to the green hill and did as they had been told to do. They saw the stone rock where Cowalt cast his spear, found the spearhead, and then found the cairn which had Ogham inscriptions exactly as described. Well, poet... The king asked, turning to Delon. But Delon wasn't there. The old man had already left the group and headed south, as fast as he could, out of Ulster. Mongan and Briothigan returned to their fortress and rejoiced, free from the wrath of the terrible poet. They were fortunate that the Fianna took an interest in their plight, and that Cowalt was allowed to travel back from the other world. Others have not always been so fortunate. So beware of causing the tempestuous anger of the poet to break forth. Because a poet's curse is a terrible thing. Alright, so there you go. That's an Irish myth. Next time we're going to talk about history. We're going to be covering more Celtic stuff. So that should be fun. And yeah, thanks for listening. And thanks for being members. You guys are awesome. <laughs>